welcome to Movie Catch-Up, a podcast where two best pals serve up movie reviews with a side of straight nonsense. I'm Leanne. And I'm Greg. For this episode, we're returning to our classic double feature format to talk about When Harry Met Sally and P.S. I Love You. So the first movie we're talking about this week is the 1989 classic rom-com When Harry Met Sally, which was directed by Rob Reiner and was written by the queen of the female-led rom-com, Nora Ephron, who notably wrote two other iconic Meg Ryan rom-coms, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, although she has a number of other familiar titles to her name. Of which I have not seen. We'll get to those ones, don't worry. This movie stars Meg Ryan, Billy Crystal, Carrie Fisher, Bruno Kirby, and Lisa Jane Persky. It has a tomato meter rating of 91% critic and 89% audience. The premise for this movie is, in 1977, college graduates Harry Burns, played by Billy Crystal, and Sally Albright, played by Meg Ryan, share a contentious car ride from Chicago to New York, during which they argue about whether men and women can ever truly be strictly platonic friends. Ten years later, Harry and Sally meet again in a bookstore, and in the company of their respective best friends, Jess, played by Bruno Kirby, and Marie, played by Carrie Fisher, attempt to stay friends without sex becoming an issue between them. And the tagline for this movie is, Can men and women be friends, or does sex always get in the way? You realize, of course, that we can never be friends. Why not? What I'm saying is, and this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form, is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there is no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. You're saying I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge? No, what I'm saying is they all want to have sex with you. They do not. Do too. They do not. Do too. How do you know? Because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail them, too. What if they don't want to have sex with you? Doesn't matter, because the sex thing is already out there, so the friendship is ultimately doomed, and that is the end of the story. Well, I guess we're not going to be friends, then. Guess not. I chose this movie for this episode because When Harry Met Sally is a very iconic romantic comedy, although I would say it's looser on the comedy part a little bit, and is one of, I think, Meg Ryan's earliest rom-coms. And it just tells a really good story, in my opinion. I know that you expressed some feelings to me in advance of us sitting down to record, so we'll talk about that at length. And it just is a story that has pretty significant staying power if the the, di- the difference between audience and uh, critic ratings is anything to go by. So... I know that you said that you didn't like this movie, but what were some of your initial thoughts going into this? Oh, I felt so bad about it, because when people say either Meg Ryan or rom-com in general, or even movies in general, I would say, this is a movie that gets tossed around at the top of lists constantly. I think even when we were searching around for just, like, best movies of all time, this was on a lot of those lists. So I was very, very glad, first off, that I'd finally watched it. Like, this is something I feel like 
very much in the essence of our podcast is like a movie that is significant to check off a list of things you haven't seen. So I'm glad I've seen it. It's very different than what I was expecting. I didn't realize there would be two five-year jumps in this movie. So that was very interesting and much different than I thought. Um, And I thought it would be, I don't know, like I assumed kind of going in that it would be a little bit more, more of a comedy, I guess, as well. Like, I think the scene everyone knows, and it is an amazing scene. I'm going to throw that right out there, obviously, is the orgasm at lunch scene. Yeah, the deli, Um, the deli orgasm scene is the iconic one. It's probably the thing that I knew and assumed, like, that's kind of what all my expectations for this movie came from that scene, basically. So I assumed it was going to be more of that. And I thought it was going to almost be like a deep dive at like a men are from Mars, women are from Venus type thing, which it wasn't not like there was some elements of that too. They both have very strong opinions on the role of men and the role of women and relationships. And a lot of that is discussed at length, but I just did not connect with it. And I, I sat down, I wasn't distracted. I was earnestly trying to just like connect with it and like it. And at first I was like kind of just waiting for it to pick up. And then I realized it was already at the most it was going to kind of pick up. It was never going to introduce like a three act structure plot or anything. This is very much a slice of life, a snapshot of their lives movie that just takes place over a long period of time where you're seeing them interact. You're seeing them bump into each other, but there was very little conflict or plot or anything like that. Uh, so it's an interesting one. I, I just struggle with it. I think partially because obviously this is 2021 and this movie came out in 1989 and I didn't see it until 2021. I'm also not heterosexual, not a big fan of relationships and probably somewhere on the A spectrum and very jaded and all that took me a few steps out of the movie so i'm kind of watching it through all these filters and through all those filters i just straight nonsense like like our introduction like it was a lot of straight nonsense for me like i pictured this movie like this concept just doesn't work unless you're talking about awful straight people like you cannot take this premise and really put it on like a queer couple because like all the conflict and drama in this is just them being stupid about the roles of gender. I don't know. I obviously saw parts of it that I think everyone connects to, and this wasn't like a complete wash or anything, but I was I was pretty whelmed. I'm very interested to see to hear your opinion though, because obviously this connects with a lot of people, and I'm very interested to hear what some of that is for people. Yeah, my I did enjoy this uh on this watch, but for different reasons than probably the reason I liked it initially and probably different from the reason a lot of other people like it. But the central thesis of the movie seems to be that, you know, men and women can't be friends because there's always that underlying sexual tension that is waiting to be resolved. And I'm curious if you felt at any point in the movie that the thesis changed a little bit because it definitely did for me. Um, kind of. I think that it mostly stayed the same throughout it. I don't know. Like, what do you think it changed to? Well, primarily because we start with the initial meeting of Harry and Sally when they're leaving college together. And Harry gives his whole, I don't think men and women can be married because the man is always, you know, uh, there's an underlying desire to constantly be having sex with women in his life. 
But over the years that we see them develop their friendship, and even after the moment when they do have sex, um, I really felt like Harry's response to it, and this is probably, you know, my queer, non, you know, allonormative response to this, is, you know, the way that he's trying to work to move past the the situation, you know, this encounter that they had that they both admit was a mistake really was mm-hmm. demonstrative to me of how much he valued his relationship with Sally. And I actually felt like Sally's response was a little bit um, inappropriate, not inappropriate. That's the wrong word, but yeah. So, but when, he, and then at the very end, when he goes to meet her at the new year's Eve party, all of the things that he says, you know, you're the first, you're the last person I want to talk to at the end of the day. I love all of these blah, blah, blah. Like nothing about their relationship in this movie reads inherently romantic to me at all. Like it very much could have just ended him with being like, I really value as a friend. Yes, we had sex and that made an awkward moment, but I don't want that one thing to like ruin this dynamic that we have. And ding, ding, ding. You solved the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So like ultimately a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But that's not what the movie tells yeah, us. Yeah, ultimately the movie could have ended with them being platonic friends and it would have been more than satisfactory to me. And yeah. it's only because yeah. the movie makes it romantic that it ends up being romantic. But I really didn't feel like it needed to be that way at I, all. I feel like that goes against what a lot of the movie was setting up almost. The fact that they ended up in the, in the yeah. end. I felt like the movie was trying to explore interesting things. And I thought the idea of... This man and this woman that have all this chemistry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are really good friends. And then they're so convinced that if they sleep together, it'll ruin their friendship. They sleep together and it doesn't ruin their friendship and they still be friends. Like that is good. Also, it's just really frustrating in a lot of ways, because if this movie were about a non-heterosexual couple, it would not be nearly this big an issue for so many reasons. I know a lot of queer people who because of the small circles they run in and et cetera, you end up, you know, a lot of queer people have had relations with some of their close friends and then moved on from that one night and been really good best friends forever. And it's not awkward because it's just a very different dynamic and it's just a very different thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not uncommon at all. And so for in this movie, it's, it seems so wrapped up in the manner from Mara's women or from Venus of it all, where it's like, oh, but you're a man and I'm a woman and it's only either about sex or nothing. Mm-hmm. And the movie tries to go to take a different approach to that, but in the end circles back to the, yeah, we, we, we're just destined to be together and have sex. Like there didn't seem to be another alternative. Yeah. I really feel like the way that the sexual encounter happens, if it had been different then maybe their responses to it would have been different and I maybe would have bought into that more because what essentially happens, of course, is that Sally has gotten the news that a guy that she had been dating for several years and broken up with and who she was convinced she was over has now gotten engaged to somebody he's been dating for a very short time and she's feeling vulnerable and insecure. And Harry comes over to comfort her. And it's in that moment of vulnerability where he makes the bad choice to not say, hey, you're in a vulnerable state. We shouldn't do this, which he acknowledges. So if they were in a situation where they were both like in their right minds, they were making a conscious decision between the both of them that like, hey, you know what? Let's just go ahead and do it. And maybe in the morning they wake up and they still feel the same way that it was a mistake. Then like 
I don't know. But I think the fact that, you know, Sally was in this vulnerable state and that really impacted her response to the situation. And truly, I mean, some of the things that Harry says in response to her feelings definitely were not the right things by any means. But I definitely think that for her, I mean, at the, at the end of the movie, you know, they are doing all of these little interlude interviews with various couples. And Sally's yeah. talking about how they've been friends for 12 years. I'm like, would you want to be friends with somebody for 12 years and have the relationship that you guys had, like, that was so close and you guys were so, you know, relying on each other to have, like, yeah. one shitty sexual encounter, like, ruin that whole thing for you? That's basically what she was prepared to do, was just throw it away. Straight nonsense. Yeah. And it's all because they've convinced themselves that now that she's just convinced herself now that they've had sex they can never go back to what they had before. And it would have been so much more interesting if the movie had addressed that. And they had that one night and then gone on to still be best friends. Like that would have been great. They could have had like a deeper friendship resulting from that even. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. This movie was just, just, just steeped in that kind yeah. of late eighties culture that was of gender. It was like, Oh, gender what did you think about all the little interlude interviews with the couples throughout the movie um i was a little confused at first i think because they all didn't share a similar tone some of them were heartfelt some of them were almost seemed fake like extremely jokey for me um so i was a little confused at what they were trying to say i would have to watch them again just those and try and piece together if there's they were trying to get some sort of theme across. Like, were they all supposed to be people that knew each other for a long time and then got together? Or just that they'd all been together for a very long time? Were they supposed to mirror Harry and Sally in any way? I don't know. That's why I asked, because on this watch, I wasn't really sure sort of what the function of these little interludes were within the larger narrative. Because, you know, you had some couples who were like, oh, I saw her and it was love at first sight. or oh. You know, we basically had parallel lives until like this one moment we've been together yeah. for fifty years. Like it didn't really met- to mirror the main story yeah. a little bit. Like people that that uh, that were separated and got back together way later seemed to be a few of them at least, but not all of them. Yeah, it wasn't obvious what their purpose was. So I was just wondering, sort of, what your impression of them and sort of how they fit into the the larger story. I think I, I ended up liking them in general because I'm a uh, as you know, a huge fan of little snippets that break up movies. I think I like title cards. I like interludes. I like little things like that that break up the movie into chunks as like beginning and endings of chapters and things. And like, I'm very much into structure. And so those gave the movie a nice interlude and flow. But um, I'd have to watch it again, see if there's some sort of theme. And then it didn't really jump out at me. I'm curious, though, what some of your, like, big highlights are for this. So we haven't actually kind of gone into just the, the stuff that really worked. Yeah, I was just going to head in that direction. Um, some of the things that I liked, I like Sally as a character. I like the evolution of her character from sort of her naivete when she's leaving university to, you know, the later years of her relationship with Harry. I really like her relationship with Marie and the dynamic that they have. Um, she has another friend as well whose name I don't have written down and who doesn't really play that large of a role in the movie overall. I really like the fashion in this movie. Um, 
all of everybody's outfits were really great. I really loved the journey that was Sally's ever-changing hairstyle. I had notes, yeah. (laughs) Sally's hairstyle was a wild. Sometimes it's like almost jarring. Like the opening, like Farrah Fawcett hair on Meg Mm -hmm. Ryan almost felt like it just felt so gutterly wrong to me. But it was 1977, so it was timeline appropriate. But seeing Meg Ryan in that hair was like. That's not Meg Ryan. <laughs> she looks super young. Um, I, I did think that they did a pretty good job, at least of like that first scene. They looked much younger there than they did in the later mm-hmm. scenes, which I appreciated. She seemed an authentic 31 to me in the later parts of the movie, which was nice. I also really liked the dynamic and the relationship that develops between Jess and Marie, even just like that one uh, setup date that they go yeah. on where it's very clear that Marie is not into Harry and it's very clear that Jess is not into Sally. And then after the dinner is over, Jess and Marie like barely wait 30 seconds to call a cab that they hop it together. It just like take off was. Yeah. That was probably my favorite in the movie was those two couple scenes back to back there. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. So like all of the character dynamics overall, I think were really good. I think um, that, Harry and Sally are opposites enough that they balance each other well. I think that Marie and Jess like had good dynamics that they were like balanced each other well. I would have rather watched a movie about Marie and Jess. Honestly, <laughs> I did not like the Harry and Sally dynamic. Of course, but we'll get to that. There's also the other iconic scene from this movie, which is the four-way split-screen phone call after Harry and Sally have sex. Yes. Yes. Again, anytime that the side characters in this, there's almost no use of side character. There's almost never anyone on screen in a named speaking role other than Harry and Sally mm-hmm. for 95% of this movie. We have very few scenes of their two friends, um, but they're really great every time they're on screen. Mm-hmm. I thought they could have used more sounding board people in this. Obviously, it's very focused on them, but. Yeah, but I mean. You know, seeing their interactions with other people would provide better contrast to the relationship that they had, for sure. I loved every scene where each of them had split off to go talk to their uh, best friend separately and, like, getting insight in that way into how they each think about each other was really good. Mm -hmm. I liked, in sort of a weird way, the running thing with Marie before she meets Jess, where she's clearly in a relationship with a married man. And she's, like, investigating all of his receipts, and she's, like, he's never going to leave his wife. And this came up, like, four or five times, and it just felt like the movie was really reminding you that, like, if you're dating a married man and he's not, like, moved out and, like, actually getting divorced from his wife, like, you shouldn't hinge your hopes and dreams that he's going to leave her. Otherwise, you're just always the other woman. But every time that came up and everyone would be, like, everybody knows that he's not going to leave his life, she'd be, like, oh, you're right, you're right, I know, I know, I know. But then five seconds later in a different scene, you know, same thing. So it's, I was happy that Marie was ultimately able to find a good relationship with somebody who actually, you know, loved and appreciated her and actually wanted to be with her. Uh, were there anything specifically that I haven't mentioned that you liked about the movie? Uh, I thought that the opening of their 18 hour drive to New York City together was, again, a very effective way to set up their characters quickly and get us to know them. I liked their first diner scene together, setting up like how crazy she is at ordering her food, how like nihilistic Harry is at the beginning. Um, 
like their first conversation in that car, he's just fully like, like it wasn't quite like goth kid, but it was almost there. Like he was like this very over life, like philosophy major type guy, right? He's, it seemed like he studied philosophy in, in university. It set them up really well. I liked that by the end of that car ride, they were just like, nope, bye. And then them bumping into each other five years later, and then bumping in another five years later. That stuff was good. I liked the airport scene when they meet the first time after five years, yeah. where he stops because he, quote unquote, recognizes Joe, but it's very obvious to the viewer that he stops because he recognizes yeah. Sally. And there's a scene where I guess they're on this, not I guess, they're on the same plane together. And then they, when they land, they're talking and they're on one of like the moving floor things that they have, the, the people mover things. And just like, I appreciate the expression on Sally's face as they're talking. He, and Harry is just going on and on and on and on and on. And she's just like trying very hard not to roll her eyes because it's just, you know, every woman listening to men explain all manner of inanities or mansplaining something to them and just kind of enduring it until she has a moment to leave. Yeah, just the dynamic between them and, like, the different perspectives that they have on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed that because, you know, they both were very, well, this is what I think and this is what I think. And there wasn't, like, a ton of, well, you're wrong to think that. It's just, like, a, a sharing of ideas. Uh, the other thing I really liked is, I'm always sucker with things like this, the constant references back to Casablanca. That was really good. Uh, they just their views on Casablanca and how it should have gone, like, was such a good way of characterizing both of them. I mentioned to you that because of the running thing with Casablanca, which neither of us have seen, that I was tempted to watch it, so I had some context for us sitting down to talk about it. I didn't, because I think that yeah. it's something that we should watch and talk about together yeah, for a future episode. I knew enough about the characters and the plot to, like, understand kind of what they were talking about with Ingrid Bergman and all that kind of stuff, but... Um, I am. It definitely piqued my interest again to finally watch it. That's another movie classic. So hopefully, you or I don't feel disappointed by it. At least one of us will. True be. cinephiles will be disgusted if you don't like it. <laughs> True cinephiles will be disgusted with a lot of our opinions. Well, they are opinions. <laughs> so, what were some of the specific things that you maybe didn't like about this movie then? Well, I mean, I got into most of my general stuff before. I mean, what I, I kind of wrote a little blurb at the end of my notes, because I kind of gave up on taking notes halfway through this, because, I mean, frankly, nothing was really happening I cared about, because after the, like, I, I wrote a couple of notes about how much I liked the little orgasm scene, but the back half of this movie, like, we know they're going to get together, and maybe that's just because I know how this movie kind of ends, because I know something about this movie. So I was kind of wanting something... Like, if I know they're getting together, it's not exciting or nail-biting. I'm not waiting, like, for them to get together, or will they, won't they? I know they will. So it's, I'm looking for some sort of complication, something to keep it interesting. But it's just them going scene to scene, inching closer and closer to doing it, because you know they're going to do it at some point, just going about their lives. Clearly, they're, quote-unquote, made for each other. Everyone around them says you're made for each other. Um, They get super jealous whenever they date anyone else, et cetera, et cetera, like, it's all the tropes thrown in there. But because I knew they were going to get together, it was interesting. So if there wasn't interesting about anything interesting for me about how they got together, it was all down to do I like them as characters and do I like them together? 
and I didn't like them together because straight nonsense. And I don't know how much I liked either of them as characters, honestly. I think Harry is not someone I would ever be friends with or want to even engage in polite conversation with. He seems kind of like a douchebag, honestly. Like, he's very high on his opinions. He's very high on himself. He doesn't seem to have a great respect for women, honestly. Apart from Sally, he treats pretty much everyone else in his life kind of terribly as far as, like, women. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of talk about him, like, never never staying the night, lots of one-night stand types things, and he seems to just, like, not get it when Sally tries to explain it to him. He could doesn't even believe anyone could have a fake orgasm with him because he's so good. And it's just like, ugh. He just kind of pissed me off a little bit. And then I liked Sally because it's Meg Ryan. And I really like Meg Ryan. Even though I haven't seen Meg Ryan in much, she's amazing. She is the kind of glowing star of this movie for me, for sure. But a lot of her quirky things, like how she ordered food, just pissed me off, honestly. Like, it was a very interesting character thing. But if I ever went to dinner with someone and they ordered food like that, I would cringe so hard. Like, I just know that the people ordering or the people taking the orders and filling those orders, that's the kind of people they just hate. <laughs> that are like so specific. That like apple pie order she put in where it's like, if it's like this, I want it heated. If it's not like this, it's not heated. And if you don't have this kind of ice cream, I want this kind of ice cream. If you don't have that kind of ice cream, I want whipped cream. If you don't have whipped cream, I don't want it warm. And it's just like, no, you just don't do that. It was funny in a way, but it still pissed me off. Yeah, I had a similar note that I appreciated that Sally was very particular and knows what she wants, but at the same time, I could never go out for a meal with her. Like, can you please just order food like yeah. a normal person? I just, because it was so slice of life and there wasn't any real plot happening, so it kind of wasn't, I, you really had to get into the character. And I'm fine with movies like that, but I would never want to be friends with Sari, Sally or Harry with I kind of just like their friends. Their friends seem cooler. <laughs> yeah, I agree with a lot of your opinions about Harry. He is a very negative person. He's very high on his own opinions, as you said. So, like, in the context of a movie, sure, great. But sort of, like, as a general concept for a person, less good. And I think, kind of, I don't really have a lot of memory about too much of Billy Crystal's work, but I feel like a lot of the characters that he plays are very similar to that, you know, very high-minded, high-on-their-own um, ego kind of people. So yeah, I don't know if... I feel like he's played quite a few, like, almost like the straight man in a lot of things, where, like, he's the smart mm -hmm. one compared to, like, his dweeby friends. Yeah. Actually, just kind of looking at some of his things. I don't remember him in that many things on here. Anyways, yeah. So that was a lot of my issues. Just, I was, like, grasping at things in this movie to kind of cling to, like, I either, like, if I was really invested in the plot, I wouldn't have cared so much if I didn't like the characters as much, or vice versa, but I didn't have a lot to cling to. It just, near the end, it seemed like just scenes were kind of just happening, just, like, slowly trudging us towards the inevitability of these two heterosexual people having one night stand and then not talking, failing to communicate, as we always say, it's all about communication. They just don't communicate, and then are clearly going to end up together anyways, and they do. Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, well, it's over. <laughs> yeah, I will say one thing that I appreciate post this movie and this kind of era of movies is that we have moved away from 
this collective constant worry about like finding a husband there are so many conversations where Uh, you know sally is talking with marie and another friend about like well you're almost this age like the 36 that was a scary thing like well, I have till 36 before I have to give up my life, basically. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, the suggestion is that it becomes harder to become pregnant when you I get know, older. But like, but, like, being married and motherhood are not, like, the defining characteristics of a woman's life. Yeah. So, but yeah, definitely we have a lot less movies where you have girlfriends sitting around a table being like, oh, you're 33 years old. Oh. If you don't find somebody, then you're not going to be able to blah, blah, blah. Like, who cares? Leanne. You say that, but we recently watched Holiday. I'm not saying that those Which, movies don't exist, and that pressure really did come from her mom. It wasn't like yeah. it wasn't Sloan and, and everyone else around her. <laughs> it wasn't Sloan and her non-existent friends of that movie who were like sitting around commiserating about the fact that she couldn't get married. And also, I think she was like in her 20s, so it really wouldn't have applied. But yeah, that constant biological clock ticking in a lot of uh, late 80s, early 90s yeah. movies is something that can be difficult to contend with. So I'm I'm glad we're moving away from that. Although it still yeah. is present because it will probably never go fully away. But and it's just it's hard when the two driving forces in this movie are basically sex and marriage and it's like not things I'm really interested in. Did you notice or did you think it was interesting that both Sally and Harry seem to have jobs that would otherwise occupy a lot of your time? And yet they were just kind of always out in the middle of the day all of the time. I could not tell you what either of their jobs were. They didn't do anything. Well, you don't see them do anything. Sally is a journalist and Harry cool. is a political consultant. She never journals. He's a political consultant for what? For politicians, he I assume. He literally never brings that up. Yeah, it comes up a few times in that, like, oh this is what he does. But, like, every time you see them, it's no, like... They don't have jobs. <laughs> But every time we see them, it's, like, in the middle of the afternoon on, like, some unspoken day of the yeah. week. So it could be a Saturday, but it could also be a Wednesday. Who would know? That was just a minor thing for me. It's just, like, they always seem to be kind of yeah. out during the middle of the day. I did like, just uh, circling back, I did like in terms of establishing how much time had passed. We had the scene where Harry buys the Christmas tree with Sally. And then we have another Christmas where she's buying the Christmas tree by herself. So we know that at least one year has passed since they started acting as close yeah, friends. I thought they did a good job with time in this movie because there was always something to tell you how much time mm-hmm. it has, whether it be these clear five-year jumps or clear, uh, like, first New Year's party, second New Year's party, first time buying a Christmas tree, second time buying a Christmas tree. The four months uh, had passed since... Uh, their friends got engaged and married, so like there was constant like jumps that I was very easy to follow for me. So that was good. Um, which was it that we watched? Was it someone like you that we watched where the timeline was really unclear? All I can think is Rocket Man. <laughs> I mean, I was so confused in that movie. Yeah, but there was another rom com that we were watching very early on on the show, and I think it might have been it might have been someone like you where it was just like the timeline was. Not clearly established, so... Oh, is that Cats and... Truth about Cats and Dogs? Mm, possibly. I know that there were definitely a couple where just, like, the established timeline was, like, not very clear, so it could have been a couple of weeks, it could yeah. have been a month, it could have been six months. It was hard to tell because the movie didn't give us any clear delineations of, like, when X happened and when Y happened. 
and then Zed happens. Yeah, so man. I yeah. Similarly, I, I appreciate when movies give me clear indications of how much time has passed since characters have met so that if they fall in love and it's been over a year, that's more realistic to me than in a couple of weeks. I will say, uh, going back to something I meant to, to mention before in The Good Stuff, one thing I really liked was um, they each get to, they get together after their, I think this is the second five-year jump. They decide to be friends because they've both just broken up with their longtime significant other. And that's the kind of bonding moment where they get back together. And this whole two years, or I think it's around two years, right? No, one year, I guess. After this, uh, you're constantly seeing Harry still just torn to pieces by Helen, his ex. I think it's Helen, right? I believe that was her I name. I believe so, yes. Um, they bump into her. He's a, he's a complete mess. Like, even just at, like oh, yeah, I was on a date, and she mentioned Michigan State, and I just broke down thinking about Helen, and Sally goes, did she go to Michigan State? And like, no, but she also went to a school, basically, with these, these situation that, like, it was not even that close, but it was enough to get him thinking about her, and he was outwardly, obviously, still grieving over Helen, whereas Sally was just calm, cool, collected about Joe the whole time, and Harry confronts her, like, why are you always so happy? Why are you never broken up about Joe? And then we do see that come to a complete arc later on at the very end when she calls him just like completely breaking down because Joe is getting married and she can't keep it anymore. The idea that she like had a very similar reaction to him about Helen and that kind of humanizing moment where Harry like sees her break down like that. And it was was nice. Yeah. Even the way that their relationship, like their responses you know, Harry has a difficult time contending with the fact that Helen has essentially planned for this divorce. You know, she arranged for the movers to come and pick up her stuff like a week yeah. before she tells him that she wants them to do a trial separation. And he's very, he's having a hard time uh, contending with the fact that she clearly doesn't want to be married to him anymore. And then for Sally later on, what the issue is, is understanding that what Joe wanted was to get married, but he didn't want to get married to her. So in they have yeah. like a sort of a mirrored experience, but in a sort of in the reverse. And it was just yeah. like another good example of like the, the complementariness of their, their character dynamics. I will say like for all the stuff I didn't like, I thought like Nora Ephron's writing here, there was some real highlights here, like the script while I didn't agree with a lot of it because it was a lot of straight nonsense, the script itself wasn't bad and the acting was good. It's just hashtag unrelatable content. I don't know. <laughs> well, that said, I also had a lot of problems with it regardless of that. I don't know. It was just a lot of straight nonsense. Yeah, I really, I really, really do wish so much that like Harry had just been able to show up on New Year's Eve and be like, look, you're like my best friend in the world. I value all of these things about you. You know, you're, you're the last person I want to talk to yeah. at the end of the day. Like, I just don't want to lose this great friendship and just, like, have that be yeah. the main crux of this whole movie instead of being like, it, I realize that I'm in love with you. Doesn't make sense. Similar to the other movie we were going to talk about, P.S. I Love You, uh, I don't think these two make a good couple. Mm-hmm. I think they make great friends a bad couple. I can't see these two working out in the long run. Like, roll credits. They get married, etc. But like, I don't know. They 
there's you, there's different things in friendships and relationships, right? Like what makes a good friendship doesn't yes. necessarily make a good relationship. And I think they need to be on more of a wavelength than they are to have a good relationship. They challenge each other in a lot of ways. They bicker in a lot of ways in a healthy friendship kind of way that like makes them both better. But like, I don't think they can agree on enough to have like a solid relationship. Also, it just, it's so dumb that like young Harry's whole thing about men and women can never be friends is proven true by the end of the movie. Like that should be proven a true statement like he opens with that and he should learn that that was wrong by the end of the movie like you said by the end of the movie he realizes that this is his best friend and they can be best friends and he just had this thing in his mind like this roadblock in his mind that was men and women can never be friends type of thing and he gets over it that's growth that's an arc that's good i just it was weird that it ended, like, kind of reaffirming what he said at the beginning. Like, Yeah, because, like, even Harry says at one point, you know, oh, well, I might have said that, but I I don't believe that anymore, even though it was obvious that he kind of did. But that's what that's... Well, he tries to amend it with, like, oh, they can as long as they're both in a relationship. Well, he said that they can't be in a relationship because otherwise yeah. the significant others start to suspect well, he tried to amend it the second yeah. time they yeah. met, saying... Well, if they're both in a relationship, that's fine. And then quickly took that and then back. Yeah. And then rendered it again. And yeah. yeah. But that's why I asked at the top of the discussion, you know, if you felt that the thesis of the movie like had changed at any point, because it kind of felt like it did. But at the same time, it also sort of contorted itself to end the movie in a way that supported the original thesis, saying that like, yeah, sex yeah. makes it difficult for men and women to be friends. And. Like, I think it did it to its own detriment. People are just so fucking horny. Like, God, people let sex control their lives. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that big a deal. So where would you put this on the ketchup scale? For Pajazes, could use some ketchup or douse it. I think I'm going to douse it. Honestly, I, I just didn't like it. And it's not a kind of movie where if I fix a couple things and like, even if the ending was fixed, I still don't like the plot or the characters. I don't know. It just didn't resonate with me at all. I could appreciate it for, for what it is for someone else, but for me, not a movie I particularly enjoyed. That's fair. Um, I'm going to say Perfect As Is. I think it's still a pretty solid movie overall. Um, I do, as I've mentioned a couple of times, wish that the the end of the movie had been different. Um, just because, you know, showing healthy platonic friendships between men and women in media at all, ever, anywhere, would be so great and is so important. And I think it just would have been a much better ending for these two people, ultimately. But I can see why people like it in terms of the overall story and how it works. And I, I think it pretty much stands up in a lot of ways. But hey... At least Meg Ryan didn't jump through a time portal back to the 1700s <laughs> to have all her rights taken away. <laughs> so there's that. So my pick for you this time was P.S. I Love You, a 2007 classic? I don't know. We'll see. The director for this is Richard Lugrevenz. He also wrote it, and it's got quite the cast. Got Hilary Swank and Gerard Butler, uh, along with an amazing supporting cast of Lisa Kudrow, Gina Gershon, James Marsters, Kathy Bates, Harry Connick Jr., and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. 
The shocking tomato meter for this is a 25% critic score with an 80% audience score. I think that is maybe the biggest split we've ever seen That's pretty big, yeah. um, so far on our podcast. It's polar opposites. So the premise here is when Jerry, the husband of Holly Kennedy, dies from an illness, she loses the love of her life. Knowing how hard Holly will take his death, Jerry plans ahead. Beginning on her 30th birthday, which we'll talk about, she receives the first in a series of letters written by him, designed to ease her grief and encourage her to move forward to a new life. And the tagline for this movie is, sometimes there's only one thing left to say. Dear Holly, I don't have much time. I don't mean literally. I mean, you're out buying ice cream and you'll be home soon. But I have a feeling this is the last letter because there's only one thing left to tell you. It isn't to go down memory lane or make you buy a lamp. You can take care of yourself without any help from me. It's to tell you how much you moved me, how you changed me. You made me a man by loving me, Holly. And for that, I am eternally grateful, literally. If you can promise me anything, promise me that whenever you're sad or unsure or you lose complete faith, that you'll try and see yourself through my eyes. Thank you for the honor of being my wife. I'm a man with no regrets. How lucky am I? You made my life, Holly, but I'm just one chapter in yours. There'll be more, I promise. So here it comes, the big one. Don't be afraid to fall in love again. Watch out for that signal when life as you know it ends. P.S. I will always love you. So I picked this one for you because I have very, very distinct memories of watching this. I believe I was in grade 12 or just graduated. And it was one of the first times that I was starting to hang out with the group of girls at my high school that I was never friends with during high school, really. Uh, just at the very tail end of grade 12, when people started to realize, hey, we have been mean to each other and, like, stupid about things for our entire high school experience when we could have just been nice and be friends. And so I started hanging out with them more, and they were the first people that got me into kind of rom-coms. So I watched a lot of the 2000s, mid-2000s rom-coms through them. Things like The Notebook and a lot of the classics. And I remember doing The Notebook and this back-to-back, which was a choice. <laughs> and I just remember, like, sobbing at this, loving it, thinking it was so good. And then I thought over time, like, I bet it wasn't that good, or maybe it was that good. And it was just an interesting one to go back and see how it held up. But I know you've never seen it. So what were some of your initial impressions? You... Did you cry first off the bat? Did you cry? It's funny you said that because the first thing I wrote at the top of the page is, did I cry? And the answer is no. No, I did not cry. Mm. There were a number of places where I was very close to crying. And then the movie did something to kind of ruin it for me. And uh, I well, my I was sobbing at the end of this movie, sobbing this this time watching it through like I was just like heaving sobs i didn't think it would get to that bad i cried like three times during this movie i just like heaving sobs by the end i had to like take deep breaths 
I was just like tears right down my face as I'm like reading Twitter for the five minutes after I finished the movie. It weirdly got to me. Not that I think it was particularly a great movie in a lot of aspects. We'll get into it. But apart from the crime, were some initial thoughts. Overall, as a concept, the idea of like leaving notes for your spouse after your death is nice to me. So, like as a general concept for the movie, like I thought it was good. Yeah. But all of the dynamics in the movie really bothered me. Everything from like the relationship dynamics between Holly and Jerry to like the way that her yeah. family reacted to the way that she was handling her own grief to just like all of these things. It was very weird to me. Even some of the things that he had her do through his notes was just, I don't know. That's what I mean when I'm like, there were a lot of places where I like, I was very close to maybe shedding a tear because there was you yeah. know good emotional resonance. And then it would be like a flashback where Jerry did something where I was like, wow, yikes. Uh, just before we sat down to record, I was looking at some of my notes. <laughs> and, like, so many of the things in this movie just make you ask, like, are the straights okay? Oh, my God, Leanne. I wrote that down so many times. <laughs> my my fourth note is, God, straight people are so awful. <laughs> I mean, just jumping into it, one of the first examples I have is, uh, I think it's, oh. it might have been Jerry to Holly, or it might have been, like, her sister to her or something. It was just like, married people make each other feel like shit on purpose sometimes. And it was like, um, what? Yeah. Like, that's far from healthy. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wrote down a lot of was, I'm just glad, A, that I'm not straight, and B, that I'm not really uh, interested in relationships or marriage in general. Because this movie really didn't uh, win me over to team marriage, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, What did you think... I mean, we'll jump into some of the, the good, I guess, in a, in a second here, but I'm curious what you thought of the 12-minute, like, long scene opening of their, like, massive fight into, like, them making up type of thing. That was a very interesting way to open a movie. I will say that it, like, really set up these characters very well. I don't know if it did them just, like, a good service, because it's definitely a warts-and-all depiction of them, but, like, through those 12 minutes, you get a really good idea of their relationship and who they are but i had some questions about it yeah i agree that it was like a good representation of their relationship because you see a lot of the similar dynamics uh in like a lot of the flashbacks when she's remembering things reading their letters but i mean if your wife is literally fucking stomping down the street not talking to you like you don't need to be asking her if she's mad at you like it's pretty obvious yeah so yeah i don't know it was there's definitely a thing in a lot of these movies where they, like, I don't want to say infantilize, but, like, it's, like, married people fighting in some of these movies is, like, glamorized almost, I guess? Like, it's this weird, like, it oh, it's just always going to end in great hate sex thing. That's, like, a trope. And I find it weird. Yeah. Like, one of the notes I wrote down, oh, we should get into the, we should get into some of the good, I think, because otherwise we're just going to talk about nitpick stuff and bad stuff for a while. I mean, I think that's probably most of what my thoughts about this movie are. Like, by and large. You don't have any good, you don't have good things to say about this movie? I thought there were some amazing things in this movie alongside the really bad stuff. Most of the things that I made as notes were just a lot about the dynamics. Yeah. I really, I mean, just jumping into one of the things that bothered me the most was you know, well, should we save it? Should we go through some of the good stuff first? Sure. My good stuff, at least. 
And we'll have lots of time to complain, I'm sure. <laughs> I just want to highlight some of the things that really worked, as we tend to do, try and highlight the good first. For me, I've never really been a Hillary Swank fan, but this movie sold me on Hillary Swank 100%. She, I thought, really nailed this character and was the only reason I cried in this movie and got anything out of this movie, really, was watching Hillary Swank go through the stages of grief like she did felt real it felt brutal it felt honest she sold me on all of it and i never for once was taken out of the movie because of something she did necessarily and i thought all her reactions and everything were very valid felt earnest so like i never really had problems with her character apart from the fact that they you know it was her 30th birthday in air quotes and then seeing scenes of her when she's in air quotes 19 with heavy bangs that we'll get to it but I thought she really nailed this character. Like, she really brought the emotion to me. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I'm embarrassed to say that when I started taking notes, I accidentally wrote down Jennifer Garner instead of Hillary Swank. Oh, and then I realized rude. my mistake and corrected it. So I'm I'm sorry, <laughs> so Hillary funny. Swank. No, no offense meant. Well, I think I did the same thing with Harry Connick Jr. If I find who I wrote down, what did I call Harry Connick Jr. through all my notes? It was really embarrassing. I know, I knew it was H... C.J., but I got that Harry wrong. I, might have done I mean, Harry is short for Harold, so you're, uh, like, well, on the right track. I couldn't remember his first name. Yeah. <laughs> I just knew he had initials. Yeah, I agree that uh, Hillary Swank did a really good job uh, as Holly. A lot of her emotion rang very honest and true, yeah. and I, I agree that her depictions of her going through the stages of grief was really, really what kind of held this whole movie together. I really also loved, I loved her one sister who was, like, there from Australia, yeah. oh, who was sure. like kind of the most supportive person in her family for the way that Holly was dealing with things. I liked her a lot, and I wish that we had more of her. I don't know what her name yeah. is offhand. I kind of wish she got to go to Ireland. Yeah. I was like really sad when she went to Ireland with the other two friends that seemed not very mm -hmm. fun or supportive. And I, I loved Lisa Kudrow in this. Uh, I made a note that... <laughs> Everyone in this movie is refreshingly direct, although whether or not I felt that was refreshing by the end of the movie is up to debate. But I mean, at the funeral scene, you've got yeah. Denise, oh, uh, so Lisa, Lisa Kudrow's character, Denise, just like going up to men and asking them straight up, are you single? Are you gay? Are you working? What's your job? And then she kisses them to see if there's any sparks there. So she's just being very yeah. methodical. And later somebody tells her, you know, she acts like a guy, men are going to be turned off. And she's like, I don't really give a shit. I love that the guy that plays the yeah. asshole guy in everything, who was in all of those stupid insurance commercials, and he's, that he ends up being like her love interest in that. Because, yeah. I don't know, but just the fact that he's in this and that they're the two characters that make a connection was <laughs> so funny to me. And when she meets him, she asks him all of the same questions that she normally asks. And before she even has an opportunity to, he's the one that leans in and kisses her. And like, immediately she can tell, like, yeah, this guy is exactly on my level. So that was good. And I liked that she had a consistent and fully run out uh, storyline through the whole movie from trying to find someone to sure. eventually getting married. I really appreciated that we got that rule of threes with her at the party where, like, she goes up to the first guy and only gets to, like, the third question, gets to the next guy, gets to, like, the fourth question that gets through all the questions with the third guy, but then has a bad kiss with them and just walks off. And, like, seeing that repetition three times, like, it got better mm -hmm. every single time. Really good use of that rule of threes there. I also have to say, Kathy Bates is wonderful. Oh, I was just going to say, 
Kathy yeah. Bates. That's one of the reasons I cried too, is at the end, um, jumping ahead, like when she brings her mom to Ireland at the end of the movie, like just seeing Kathy Bates' face light up and all this, like she, and that last scene that Kathy Bates, where she gives uh, Polly the last letter that she'd been holding on We're to. We're going to get to the um, last letter because that bothered me a lot. That bothered me a lot, but we'll get to that. I remembered this movie very differently, which we'll get to. I thought something completely different happened with the last letter. And I'll tell you what I thought happened from my like vague memories. Uh, when we get to that. There's also like a lot of really good one-liners in this one. I think it's like yeah. one of her sisters after the funeral, they ask, are you drunk? Do you want to be? And I like, that's the grief support that Holly really needs. And then I think it's her mom who says this to her, but it might be her sister. I didn't know who said it. Uh, she says, you've got to be rich to be insane. Holly misery is not a luxury for the middle class. And I wrote truer words because like yeah. that's really the case. People who are not affluent don't have the luxury of being crazy and eclectic the way that we like to think of rich people. Also, there's a, some, I forget who says it. I don't know if you remember who says it. But he says, I was in an off-Broadway production with goddamn Al Pacino. I don't need this shit. And uh, that was just like another great line. I think it was somebody at a, a party. Was that one of the, was that the gay? Yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, bouncer yes, or whatever? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have a lot to say on the LGBT references and, well, I'm not going to say representation, just the mentioning of it in this, uh, that's going to go into the bad category. We'll, we'll get, get to, some to of that. it. But um, for me, another thing I really liked was the whole framing structure of the letters. I really liked the connection that it brought back every time. Every time she gets a letter, the anticipation of the letters, the little PS I love you at the end. Like it was such a good framing device mm-hmm. to go through the movie. And I really liked that all the scenes where Jerry, George Butler's character, is there as she's reading the letters and he's narrating them. Like when she's in bed and like he's physically there, even though he's not there. Uh, and just that representation of her going through the grief and still seeing him and feeling him. And then by the end of the movie, she doesn't see and feel him anymore. Like I thought all those little touches added so much to the movie. Like we're constantly seeing him and hearing him throughout the whole thing mm-hmm. until we don't. Like, honestly, this movie isn't a romantic comedy. I'm just going to say that straight up. It's not a romantic comedy. There is very little romance. I mean, there's romance, but there's very little comedy, and it's not about the romance. It's a movie about the stages of grief. It's a movie about loss. It's not a romantic comedy. And I know it gets lumped in that a lot, and that's, like, definitely what my friends called it when I heard it or saw this in high school. It was lumped in the rom-com category, but it's very different. It reminded me mostly of How to Be Single. My favorite part of the movie is that she doesn't end up with a guy at the end. That the whole movie leads up to her. She's had these connections with Harry Connick Jr.'s character, who's got a name. name Daniel? I didn't care. Didn't care about him. He was stupid. I'm just going to say that. But she's constantly having these little flirty reactions with him. And like, there's this insinuation that once she gets over Jerry, that might be the obvious rom-com pairing for her to end up with. And she also meets... Uh, Jerry's best friend William when she goes to Ireland and that's another potential connection but by the end of the movie she basically goes off on the message that there are different kinds of love out there than just romantic love and she's going to spend some time looking for that Uh, and that maybe one day she'll fall in love again but right now she's just happy without that and that she can move on to that at the end of the movie is such a a good way to end a movie about grief like this. Not that you're just going to jump to another guy or anything, but that she's just happy being alone and that's enough right now. And that she's got her mom and all these other things in her life. 
It's just refreshing. No, I definitely agree. I mean, literally every other woman in the movie, including her mom, is basically paired off at the end. So we're okay with Holly being on her own because everybody else has been sufficiently married off or paired off in some other way. Her mom has a, has a, a three-second flirty interaction with a guy at the very end. But I wouldn't say I know, but off. it's She's more than what Holly off, has, yes. is all I mean. Yeah. Another little thing that I really, really like, there were some good small touches in this movie. Like, the opening scene, after they're having their makeup sex or whatever, Gerard Butler is doing a strip tease with his uh, Luck of the Irish Boxers and these suspenders, and one of the suspender snaps, straps snaps off and hits him in the eye or something and goes falling to the floor. Uh, and it's like a little comedy beat. And it's, and it's really cute in the moment. But then later, after he's passed, while she's cleaning up, she finds the little um, suspender strap that fell off and puts it on a picture frame of them as a reminder. And then it comes back a third time near the end of the movie where she's really angry. She throws something across the room and it hits the picture frame with the buckle. The little buckle falls to the ground and lands on a shoe in like a perfect little position. And it's what kind of gives her the inspiration to start designing shoes. Something she's always talking about design and wanting to create things. And it just gives her a little bit of inspiration to go that direction towards making shoes. And I would just thought that was so cute. A way to like bring that back a few times and, I don't know, just a little, some of the little symbolism stuff, the imagery in this was really good. No, I agree that that was cute. I really like the karaoke scenes, both of them. I cried in the second one where she's doing karaoke again because it was this whole, we get a flashback to her getting teased and taunted up to do karaoke, something she's not comfortable doing by Jerry. And she's starting to get into it, then trips and falls and like breaks her nose and all this. And it's, it's not a great situation for her. And then in one of the letters, Jerry basically tells her, go out and do karaoke again. And she sings this song and it pans to the audience and they all disappear. And it's just Jerry in the audience and she's singing to him and it's really sweet. I was just like, oh, it's so cute. I had pretty mixed feelings about the karaoke scene. Just because, like, the things that Jerry was saying about Holly in a room full of their friends and also strangers. I was like, can you imagine talking about your significant other like that? Like, in front of people you know or even people you don't? Like, he really goes in on her, goading her into doing this. And I was just like, she clearly doesn't want to be there, and she clearly doesn't want to do it. She's already made that clear to him before they got there. And he's just like quadrupling down on needling her into doing this. And then when she does do it, you know, as you said, it ends up being kind of a shit situation for her because she breaks her nose, and he ends up being jokey about that as well. It's like, they have a good dynamic, but so much of it is him just like not really giving due concern to her her feelings. I have a lot to say about their relationship, which we'll get to. I agree. Like, I think the idea with the karaoke, with him going her into it, is that he knew her so well that he knew once she got up on stage and started singing, she would get into it. She would have a lot of fun. And she just was so closed-minded about things and never wanted to go out of her comfort zone even though every time she did, he could see that she would light up and get really into it. But she would take any small bad situation as an excuse to shut herself off. That seemed to be her running storyline, is that she would be so afraid to dip her toe into something and immediately want to just uh, draw back and withdraw. She didn't want to face a lot of things, and he that's why they worked so well, I guess, because he brought that out of her and... 
I think I'm overselling it. I don't think the movie said that as well as I'm saying it. I think the movie could have done a better job yeah. if that was I mean, the I, idea. No, I agree that Holly is definitely somebody who has difficulty taking risks. But the way that Jerry gets her to do things yeah. is just... The way that Jerry no. does it isn't good. They, if they wanted to do that angle, they could have done that angle with him being a little nicer about it. <laughs> I'll just say that. I think when we get to it, uh, yeah, they're not a great couple. I really like that there was a Susan Blackwell cameo. She was the woman that wanted to buy the apartment uh, that um, Holly was selling mm. and was like whipping her husband about it or whatever. Yeah, shout out to Susan Blackwell. She's amazing. Yeah, that was another very awkward scene for me. I liked all the Ireland stuff. Uh, I wish more of the movie was in Ireland. I thought the just seeing how beautiful Ireland was and all those like on location shots. I wish they had done a little bit more in Ireland because it was so beautiful and gorgeous. And I could, I could have used more of the movie over there. <laughs> but the stuff that was there, I really liked. I liked the scene where she goes and sees uh, Jerry's parents and they have that wonderful moment together. All that stuff was oh. I like that one of uh, Holly's things is that she is really into classic Hollywood movies. Like when she shuts herself away after Jerry dies uh, and doesn't like talk to anyone for weeks. She's just binging these old Hollywood movies. I basically just said, yeah, not going to lie, locking yourself away and binging classic movies while living among all your filth is 100% what I would do. Relatable content. Loved her singing to Judy Garland when everyone busts through the door. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, when you're grieving like that, to just want to lay in bed and cry and watch movies and like listen to music that makes you feel big feelings. And like, that's totally, totally normal. I mean, everybody deals with grief differently, obviously, but like by and large, I feel like those three weeks that she lived by herself, not leaving her apartment, were completely appropriate and totally relatable for most people, especially losing somebody that significant in their life. Yeah. We'll talk more about her grieving process when we're getting into the bed, because I have a lot of thoughts about that. Just about the Ireland stuff, I just want to say, as much as I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and I was like, Confused that he wasn't in the movie immediately. For some reason, I thought he was, like, the man that had died, but apparently not. <laughs> so I was confused for quite a while. I was like, oh. he's in this movie, isn't he? And then eventually he shows up. But I kind of halfway wish that they'd cast, like, Colin Farrell in this role or something. Someone who didn't look identical yeah. to Gerard Butler, which was weird. They look very similar. They have a similar vibe. Yeah. They look similar in this movie, at least. I thought it was weird. We'll get to it because I kind of want to talk I about that. Also, just kind of wish that they'd cast like an actual Irishman. Yeah, that would help. Like, I Jeffrey Dean Morgan's accent wasn't awful, but it wasn't great. There are lots of options out there, but whatever. Gerard Butler's like super Scottish, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't know. He he did Irish well for me. I like. I couldn't remember. I'd be like, wait, is he Irish or Scottish? Also, I'm also bad at accents. So for all I know, he did a terrible job. But he wore Irish boxers, so he has to be Irish. <laughs> sure thing. One of my last things I want to mention is, uh, I know you mentioned some of the flashback scenes didn't work for you, but I really liked a lot of the flashback scenes to their early relationship. More specifically, like the really early stuff, like their first meeting on the road when she is uh, in Ireland for the first time and doesn't know where she is and is lost on her map. and. It was just so cute that, like, he mentions, like, yeah, you've been in this national park you've been looking for for a few hours. And she's not sad about it. She's She, like, gets so excited about that and, like, just takes a look all around and, like, 
she really sold how earnestly excited she was to be in Ireland and just they were so cute, just like walking along the road together. I thought the stupid scene with like the wild Irish dog that he like jokes about and then like she catches on and plays with it to like get him to like put his hands around her. It was like a pretty cute be cute. Yeah, I thought that that flashback of their initial meeting was cute and it was and it was a good representation of like the early parts of their relationship. Yeah. But it really is like the later parts oh, that bother me the most. And obviously we'll talk about that. I thought it was hilarious that to make a 35-ish year old Hillary Swank 19 in that scene, they just gave her like a Hillary Duff purple felt hat, which didn't necessarily work. Yeah. But it was a good vibe. And I thought she looked cute. Gerard Butler was definitely 40, but, you know, 24, 40, it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote, he looks old. Yeah. I mean, he looks good. Don't get me wrong. He was shirtless. He was shirtless in 90% of this movie. I appreciated that. I was on board for that. That was a good thing. That's his best acting. That says a lot. <laughs> I actually do like Gerard Butler as an actor. I'm going to put that Is out Is he shirtless there. in uh, Joel Schumacher's... Phantom of the Opera, because I'm going to use it as a baseline. Oh my god, I'm so excited to watch that. I forgot for a second that he was the Phantom. No, he's, like, fully clothed the whole time. There's a lot of cape work. We'll get to that movie soon. Maybe. Hopefully. Oh, 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 how did I not mention her her job mood boards? Oh my god. Her job mood boards were maybe my favorite thing in the movie. It just pans over. She's like trying to mood board out all the potential jobs she wants. And it's like hired assassin, <laughs> vampire slayer. <laughs> and I paused it on the vampire slayer one. And it literally says pros, specialized field, rewarding, cons, dangerous, works nights. Nice. <laughs> it was so dumb. Oh, I loved it. Buffy wishes she had those options. <laughs> a nice nod to James Marster. Yeah, he just disappeared from this movie. That was weird. He was in a lot of the beginning, and then even though he's getting married to one of the main characters, we still don't see him. Yeah, basically once they get the letters happening and they're pretty much not in Boston anymore, then everything just shifts gears very quick. Even when they're in Boston, we keep seeing all the other people, just not him, for the most part. I just thought it was a little weird. I don't know if it was filming th- filming issues, maybe. He's a busy guy. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Should we jump into the things that did not work? Yeah. Let's do it. What's one of your big ones? First and foremost, I guess we should just talk about Holly and Jerry's relationship. Good idea. That's a good place to start. I mean, it's such a big part of the movie, and it was definitely one of my, my biggest issues. Everything from... Yeah. The argument that they have at the beginning where, you know, they're talking about wanting to have babies and whether or not he wants to leave and whether she wants him to leave. And they they admit that this is a conversation that they have a lot. Like It seems like a weekly ritual. Maybe if that's a conversation that you're having a lot, you should, like, see a counselor or maybe you should just consider that your relationship is not working because that's not a fight that you should yeah. be having so frequently that you're like, I I want to leave, or you want me to leave, or whatever. Like, why do straight people always have to do the thing where they don't communicate and then they passively aggressively bitch each other for not being able to read their minds? It's dumb. I don't know. Just communicate. It is dumb. I mean, I know that I've ranted at you at length outside of the podcast, you know, and I know that I have with other people in who are also like aromantic and asexual and stuff like that. 
such as myself, which I don't think I've ever really talked about on the show, just about like how frustrating is that there's so many of these movies could just easily be summed up if two people just fucking talk to each other. Like, have a conversation. I mean, not so much this one, you just fucking die. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, like, you know, the dynamic in the relationship would have been improved if, you know, Polly didn't be like, you know what you did. Just oh, be like, 100%. you said a thing in front of my mother that I felt was very hurtful. And like, yeah, I'm mad at you. And then they can work through that. I'm just going to say it. I don't, I don't know if this is a bold statement or if this is uh, bad to say, but I'm pretty sure if he didn't die, I would have given their relationship six months to a couple years. Like, I don't think they were going to work out in the long run. We see almost no evidence in the last X amount of years that their relationship was anything strong or anything foundational for them to really go on. They clearly loved each other a lot, but they got together when she was 19 it's the like only man she's really ever been with. They have this very toxic relationship where they, all they seem to do is fight. They seem to want separate mm-hmm. things in life. And I think they were on a path to divorce pretty quick. I don't quick. disagree. I mean, at least that's how the movie paints it. Yeah, that's definitely my read. You know, if you're having this argument about staying and going and difficulties about children, I mean, Jerry takes out a business loan without Holly's prior knowledge. Like, that is a big financial decision to do without discussing with your partner like holy cow yeah and i've already talked about you know the things that he said to her at when they were at karaoke and just like you know constantly needling at her and really going in on like her her insecurities as a means of getting her to do things like just be supportive of the fact that she doesn't like karaoke and you know all of these different little things but i mean ultimately I, i agree like he had to leave the relationship in some capacity for her life to move forward so yeah it's probably bad to say but it's not incorrect yeah because the movie definitely frames them as soulmates as like they'll love each other forever et cetera, et cetera. it's like very heavily romanticized I mean, you can need to get, you but, can love someone for yeah. your whole life and not stay married to them. Oh, 100%. But we just don't see that until he yeah. dies, which I think, I think the movie would have been more effective, in my opinion, if we, the first scene, that 12 minute scene, was just bliss. If they were in such a good relationship, they were thinking about having kids, moving out, they were like reaching their life goals and like they were actually extremely bountifully happy together and then that happened like could you fucking imagine how much sadder this movie would be if like that was how it was like oof it would hit especially because then it would have echoed off more with her two friends another scene i liked that i forgot to talk about they're in the boat in ireland fishing and the one friend admits that she's getting married and the other friend admits she's pregnant and here's holly who's just had everything ripped away from her they were talking mm-hmm. about getting pregnant and, and all this too. And, and her friend's lives are moving on and hers isn't. She feels stuck and she's having to watch her best friends move on as mm-hmm. she stays behind stuck where she is. And her face is just like, go so grief stricken. That would have hit even harder if like she, her life was really moving forward while she was with Jerry, but it's, she, they seem to yeah. be stuck in a rut. The other big thing aside from Holly and Jerry's relationship is Holly's family for me. I mean, like, she just lost her fucking husband, for Christ's sake. And after three weeks of, you know, living in her own filth in her apartment, her mother and her sisters come over and like, you need to get over this. You need to get your life back on track. You need to, like, be... Di-. Like, are you kidding me? It's been three yeah. weeks since her husband 
the only man yeah. she's ever been with for like all of her adult life. Like, are you joking? And then also, the movie takes place over a period of one year, and miraculously, by the end of one year, one whole year, Polly is seemingly able to move past the death of her husband. It was completely unrealistic Just to me. Starting to. She's starting to by the end of the year, which I think is very realistic, but like they wanted her to do it in three weeks. But yeah, absolutely. Her family's yeah. response and the way that they pushed her made me so and her angry. Let's jump love those yeah, together. But yeah. I mean it was largely like her mother. Especially her mom. Uh well it revealed that her mom I guess like Hollywood's full time, obviously, but like when Holly was fourteen, her dad walked out on her and her mom and her mom had to grieve over that too. And you would like, she even says that, like, she feels for Holly because, like, she's gone through similar things, and et cetera. And, like, you would think if she would have more compassion. Yeah. And know. then at the very end, after her mom is, like, pushing her to basically get over it after three weeks, you find out that she's the one who's been facilitating the delivery of all of these letters. It was so yeah, weird to me <laughs> that she would be involved in this and then at the same time just like forcing Holly out the door to like move on with her life. It was so weird. Yeah. It really bothered me a lot. Yeah, her friends didn't seem to have a lot of compassion either. Like like all this great stuff is happening to them and you're, you see your friend just drowning and like give your friend space, give your friend time. Like leaving a threatening message on her answer machine saying you didn't reach back to me within a week so you're not invited to my wedding anymore. Like that's really going to help your friend whose husband died and is grieving. Like, like, why are you making her your maid of honor if you know even though, like, give her space, give her time. Like, I don't know. A lot of the people's... And I feel like we needed some of that. Like, we needed some people, because that is a thing that happens. People who don't experience a lot of grief, people who don't really empathize very well. Like, it's, it's a common reaction for a lot of people to be like, okay, it's been a few weeks, it's time for you mm -hmm. to get over this. That's not a good reaction, but that's an honest reaction. But we didn't get a lot of the others. Like, we didn't get a lot of people in yeah. her life being supportive. And I feel like we needed a mix. Like, it's understandable that there would be people in her lives who don't get it. But for, like, basically overwhelming majority of people in her life just being like, okay, time's up, yeah. move on. Yeah, it was, it was really it was just, like, her one sister who came to the funeral from Australia and was there and was being supportive. And was like, do you need this? And then wasn't in the movie. Um, even when they walk into her and she's, you know, in her pajamas and the apartment is filthy and she's having one moment of, like, levity while she sings along to the movie that she's watching. And her younger sister is the most supportive person in that scene. And everyone else is just like, I can't believe that you're living like this. And, like, that's what grief will do to you, so. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I have a lot of things I want to touch on. Should we talk about the super great queer representation in the movie. All right, let's talk about that now, sure. It it was weird, I'm not going to lie. There were, from the beginning of the movie, constantly throughout, these weird, like, microaggression-y type references to LGBT people that, like, started to just build and get weird oh, and sure. confusing. I couldn't tell if this was maybe... A queer person wrote this, and how they wrote it did not translate because of a straight presumably straight director i didn't look that up my bad and and like the cast not getting it i don't know or was it just like whoever wrote this is i, I don't know it was weird there was something at the end of the movie 
that I think this is supposed to be like dedicated to the director's wife or something. I wasn't paying attention, so I missed it. But I think yeah. there's like some basis of like fact to some of the story. So I'm not sure if that's the thing. But I mean, from the beginning of the movie, where they fucking dead name a trans woman and misgender them, and then that weird conversation that Holly has with Daniel, where he was like, "That was so yeah, weird. my girlfriend left me for another woman, and she said I'd stay with you if you well, were a woman." And he was all like very weirdly. That seemed like that that happened to the director yeah. is what I was saying. Like, it seemed like the director had some sort of beef to pick. Like even the beginning with the whole like dead naming uh, the trans woman. Right after that, uh, he's joking and calling his wife a lesbian for only ever dating one man, and, and it was like this weird reference to like, well, you've only ever dated me, so how do you like maybe you're I don't know. It was really weird. There's also his favorite, like uh, Jerry's favorite song, just has the the F slur in it, just very loudly, and it's like great favorite song, Jerry. That's great, like. It was yeah. weird. But then they go to the gay club, and it's like... Every fucking stereotype that you can possibly imagine. There is a bonding moment where Holly is talking to a bunch of older gay men who are like, oh, we can relate to your husband dying because all our friends died of AIDS. And it was like, what is going yeah. on? Like, do you remember, like, Bill, who died 15 years ago? Oh, yeah, Bill. It was just, like, really it was weird. super weird. The whole gay club thing was just weird. Like, it was just a scene out of Queer as Folk that they, like, went through a filter and got lost in translation somehow because that's the only reference this person had. I, I mean, assume. it could have been a scene from Sex in the City, honestly. Yeah. It was just weird. I don't know what else to say. There, there was a few other things, too, I think. I I'm, can't even remember them all. It was just, like, consistently throughout most of this movie. Oh, one thing I wrote down is when <laughs> Holly is... First meets Jerry and goes, I've been seeing this boy Timmy, but we don't really do much. I just expected Gerard Butler to scream out, because he's gay, Holly. <laughs> like, that's why you don't do much with him. It's like, that's just where the movie seemed to be taking. So I just like wrote down love casual 2007 homophobia. Yeah, no, there really was just like a weird undercurrent of homophobia throughout the whole movie. It was super uncomfortable. It's also just weird because normally movies like this make, like, they have, like, one throwaway reference or, like, one stereotypical gay character that's there for two lines. This movie just constantly had it. Because mm-hmm. they felt like they were being gay inclusive, but I were guess. doing it in a real bad way. Yeah. I don't know if, like, being in an off-Broadway play with Al Pacino would really be, like, a badge of honor for, like, a gay man, but sure, maybe. It was weird. All he's a big that. name. I guess he's a big name. Should we use that maybe as a springboard to another character we've just mentioned that I want to talk about, which yeah. is Daniel, Harry Connick Jr.'s character, who is real weird. I do not know what they were trying to do with this character. I guess, is it stated that he has Asperger's, or is that just reference, like, implied? It is stated that he has, he cannot pick up on social cues and takes medicine, but then makes a joke that it's just an excuse for him to say rude things or something. I don't know. He is very weirdly depicted throughout this whole movie where he just goes up to Holly and just says very abrasive, rude things to her, and then we laugh at it. Or supposed to, I guess. And I don't know why they made that choice. It was a strong choice. Didn't seem to be done with respect for people on the autism spectrum. If that's what they were going for, it was weird. Yeah, I definitely didn't pick up on that, and if that's what the movie was going for with that sort of 
throwaway line than... Well, yeah, he said, I have a disorder where I can't pick up on social cues. I sometimes take my medicine for it, but sometimes I just don't. I like to have an excuse to, like, be blunt or something vaguely when I first meet. And then I don't think autistic people, like, take medications so that they're better at learning social cues. They just learn social cues. Maybe. I don't know. It wasn't clear, and I don't think that the movie had the tact to deal with uh, an autistic character in any way that would have been proper representation. We can't even do that in 2021. just be a cute guy that works at the bar? Like, why did we need to add that if they weren't going to deal with it properly? I mean, he was a character that we had a will-they-won't-they with him and Holly the whole time, and I'm glad that in the end it was won't-they. Yeah, that was nice. I like the scene where they, like, have their kiss and they pull away, like, no, that didn't work. Yeah. That was kind of fun. That was actually surprising because they really had built the movie up so much for their relationship to be a will-they-won't-they, and then for it to be like, oh, kissing was like kissing my sister was like it was a good twist. I like that twist again. I thought it was really weird that, like, there's all this talk of the Yankees and all that, obviously, and then he goes to buy two tickets to go see the Yankees with her, right, as she's like, I'm going to Ireland! And then he, like, off in the distance hearing this, like, angrily rips up his Yankee tickets. I was like, dude, you work at a bar and Yankee tickets are not cheap. I don't even know what sport that even is. It's probably football or something, but it's probably expensive. Knowing the Canucks tickets, which is the only reference I have, and just ripping them up, just go scalp them. It's Boston. Stand on the street and scalp those things. Like, come on. I know it was just like a gesture, but it pissed me off. Ripping up anything that you've already paid for is kind of like a weird thing to do. It's like you're not really punishing anybody. They've already made money off you, so say love you, I guess. The other potential love interest, then, that we have for Holly um, is William, who I also found almost equally as weird. Because he's literally just Jerry. They're both hot Irish guys of the same build and face type and hair that are musicians and have all the same personality traits and are best friends. And so it seems weird that you just like go to the same person who just, I, I don't know. It was weird. Also, William fully knew who she was, I'm assuming, because like if you go, oh, you're Jerry's Holly. Or, like, who did you think she... Like, what? Like, I got the sense that he might have fully known who she was yeah, the whole time possible. and was taking a bit of advantage. If not, he's real dumb, I think. Because he knew Jerry died. He knew Hillary Swank at 19 surprisingly looks the same as Hillary Swank at 30. So, like... I mean, you, you don't know, really change that, that much after a certain point. <laughs> you look different at 19 and 30. I'm putting it up there. If you look at a picture of me when I'm 19... You look different, but you don't look that different. It's, different it's not like your face changed into a different person in 10 years well that even makes my point more that's what i'm saying like he would probably recognize this girl named holly who is here because her irish fiance or her, her irish husband died and like he would maybe put maybe, the dots who knows? together I, don't I just thought he was weird and we didn't really need him yeah i don't know it was just he was just a transitional person for holly he was a placeholder for jerry he was allowed to be the first man other than Jerry that she had sex with. But yeah, it was weird. I wish that she didn't. But he was just Jerry, which creeped me out. If he was a different person, I think like that would have all worked just better for me. Because like he reminds me so much of Gerard Butler in this that like I was just thinking the whole time that like Holly, are you not gonna mention how creepy this is? Is this not gonna make you kind of uncomfortable? 
I guess he just have a tight. One of her friends should have mentioned how similar they looked. I'm sure it was just like that wasn't obviously. Yeah, I, I don't think it was in the script that William was supposed to look like him, and they just cast it like that. Is kind of what I see happen here. Somebody should have added, yeah. "Wow, he sure looks like Jerry, <laughs> Lisa Kudrow, or something." She seems like the character that would have done that. <laughs> Sure looks like your dead husband. I like that I wrote in all caps here, bangs do not take away 15 years. Uh, boy. <laughs> the other thing for me is that this movie is two hours long, it's long, and that is too long. I wrote that too. I wrote, can we please cut some of the early scenes here and get to Ireland quicker? I think we should have had much shorter periods of time between each letter she was getting, and we just hop over to Ireland because, like... It takes a long ass time. Like I remember getting to Ireland, like Ireland being a big thing, and then I'm I'm staring at the clock. Like they go to Ireland, right? Like I didn't imagine that when I watched this in 2007. Like I'm pretty sure that's a thing that happens. And there's just these long scenes between each letter she's getting that we really mm. could have chopped up. I mean, for Christ's sake, when Harry met Sally, which in my opinion tells a much better story, tells that story in a tight 90 minutes. 90 minutes for most things. Yeah, but it does it well. And I, I think this movie just really needs to be cut back a little bit. Like, I definitely had some moments where I was, you know, looking at the the uh, progress bar, trying to, you know, establish where I was. And I watched this late in the evening, you know, around bedtime, which I should never do because that's especially when I'm like, hey, like, how much of this movie is left? Yeah. But Jesus, the fact that this movie was two plus hours was just way too much for me. I was going to watch this um, the night before I did with having a birthday party and then the birthday party ended. I was like, okay, I'll sit down after this party. It's pretty late. It's like pushing 9.30. I, I could stay up a little later and watch an hour and a half or something. And I saw it was over two hours. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I didn't remember a lot of this movie. Like I thought I did. I thought in the end, to get back to this that I referenced before, I had a vivid memory of the last letter she gets is from Jerry saying, this is my last letter. I love you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sappy, sappy, sappy. Now it's your job to pass this letter to your next potential husband or whatever. And it was going to be like instructions on how to care for my wife. Like, dear next husband, I'm the dead husband. Here's how you should treat Holly or something. Like, I thought that's, and that she gave it to Harry Carter. <laughs> Better than I Junior. did. Yeah, and I thought he gave, she was giving that to Harry Connick Jr. for him to read, and that it would be addressed to him as, like, the next person in her life, and that would, like, close everything. I thought that's what happened for some reason, but I made that all up, thankfully, because that would have been dumb. Yeah. But it seems kind of like that's where it's going to me, because she hands him the letter at the football stadium, and he starts reading it out, and I thought, like, he'd been addressing letters to all the other people in her life that he would address a letter to her potential future husband or whatever. Which I could see Jerry doing because he's such an asshole. Like, from the grave, he's going to, like, micromanage her life. Like, I just want to mention this. I swayed back and forth between liking these letters and not. I thought it was sadistic at times. Like, on the one hand, it's very super romantic and sweet. You're getting a little bit more of um, him after he died. And he's, like, guiding you through the grief period and all this. But also, like, you're trapped. Like, you cannot move on because he keeps fucking showing up everywhere micromanaging how you're going to live the next year of your life from the grave like like he's so controlling and it's like i don't know it's like a morbid fantasy slash hell not being able to escape this person yeah well and i mean that's like what i said at the beginning is that i think the idea of getting these letters from your dead spouse to help you through the grieving process is a nice idea 
but the way that it is executed in the movie just really doesn't yeah, work. I liked it a lot of the time, but then I'd remember how much of an asshole Jerry is. So I think if Jerry was a nicer guy, it would have worked better. It would have come off much more earnest and less controlling. I still think they should have just been real happy and that it would have been worse. It would have been, it would have hurt so much if Jerry was this, this sweet guy who was like perfect for her and they were like living the most blissful fucking life ever. And then he just like dies. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. I think it would have changed how we viewed this movie and a lot of this would have come off less controlling. I can definitely see how it ended up with like such a low critic score. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that I would give it like 20% myself, but I certainly would not give it 80% by any stretch. I, all that said, though, I'm honestly shocked how well I thought it did, like, hold up overall, largely because of Hillary Swank. But, like, it still got to me. It still rung true. I thought it was still a very novel concept to have this entire rom-com-esque movie framing. But really, it's just a movie about grief. And we don't really get a lot of movies that deal with this. That's true. And I thought Hillary Swank's whole journey through it was very earnest. And it was mostly just the framing around her that I had troubles with. But, like, I cried. I could see how this has an 80% audience score because, every, like, even in high school when I watched this, there was not a dry eye in the room. Everyone loved it. Like, I think if I was watching this at a, an earlier stage of my life, I would definitely feel the same yeah. way. And I probably would have been much more prone to tears. But I think just because, you know, my way of thinking about relationships and... And everything has changed quite yeah. a lot as I've gotten older that like looking at the dynamics of the relationship and everything. And it's like, this relationship is toxic and yeah. you know, the family dynamics and everything just, it really didn't work for me. There was a lot more potential there that could have been finally woven through that it could have really helped. It's definitely one of those movies. I think though, that the reason people come back to this and like this movie is probably very similar to the notebook, which I think I also has lots of problems, but Regardless of all the problems this movie has and something like The Notebook has, it's just a movie that you can put on when you want to feel sad and you want to cry, but you also want not just sadness. Like, there's hope in here, too. There's, like, it's like a good cry, I would say. Like, that's how I felt about it, at least by the end. Like, it's not perfect, but it's definitely something you can throw on and, like, have a good cry, too. I won't too. lie that The Notebook has made me ugly cry a couple of times. This hit me in a very similar way. Usually if I want a movie but that's going to make me also, feel sad on purpose, I'll watch, like, Practical Magic or some other Sandy Bullock movie because those do it for me. Yeah. Everyone has their own. So should we rate this bitch? Let's do it. So what did you give this one on our ketchup scale? Is this a douse it? Was it perfect as is? Or is this in the middle with needing some ketchup? Um, it's definitely a could use ketchup for me. I would probably put it low on the scale. Good concept, shaky execution in terms of dynamics. In ter in response to your earlier comment about whether or not this was a 2007 classic, given how much of the story elements didn't really age very well, I would be reluctant to call uh, it a classic. Anything at all. in this era that is a classic needs to have those things that didn't age. That's what makes it a classic. <laughs> Yeah, I think on similar wavelengths to you with this one, I definitely obviously got a little bit more out of it. It definitely tear-jerked me. I think what it set out to do in being a movie about grief from Hilary Swank's perspective, I thought she was strong enough to carry this through any other bullshit that was thrown at it. That said, it still needed quite a lot of ketchup for me, so it's kind of like dead in the middle for me. It definitely worked, but like... 
it, it could use work as well. That's it for us this episode. Join us again next time for a hotly anticipated double feature discussion of Showgirls and Secretary that you're not going to want to miss. Consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so that other people can find our show. Your review may land you a shadow in a future episode. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MovieCatchUpPod for episode updates and other news. Our intro music is Blackjack, and our outro music is Candy Hands. All music provided by ArtistAudio.com.